feel like the Knish has had a bit of a downfall on the New York food scene. Just Honestly, I haven't had a Knish in years. Yeah. Um, and one time I got one. This was probably in like 2017. I got one from one of the like street vendor hot dog stand guys just like on the street somewhere and it was the worst thing I've ever tasted and I usually love knishes but I'm pretty sure this one was made with like subway rat meat um and it um but overall they're like they're a good food group and they're part of that like dumpling Right, they're part of that like dumpling pierogi empanada yeah. food group that's like the best food group in the world. Like the- that when people are like, What is your favorite food? I'm always like dumplings because every culture has a dumpling and every dumpling is good. Right. Dumplings are the ultimate uniter. <laughs> yes. <laughs> anyway. And the condition is the argue- closest thing that you can get to like being able to buy French fries on the street. I guess, but it's like, it's not really, it's, it's like a, it's, no, it's more not, empanada-like yeah. than French it fries. Is. Yeah. Um, but. What other it's like street a, food like potatoes it's, If an empanada and a pierogi had a baby. That's what a knish is. I don't think I've actually ever had a knish now that I'm thinking about it. It's kind of a niche food, honestly. Like, I don't, yeah. like. Yeah, they're not like you have to look for them. They're not just okay. like there. No, and you're Word. definitely not going to find them outside of New York either. Oh yeah, no, like, they only exist in New York. I I have had to explain it, what they are to to many many a Californian friend. And they're like they're a very niche food. <laughs> the like, so it's a bagel. I'm like, no, it's not no, not, not a bagel at, at all. all. Not a bagel at all. <laughs> not even close. Not even close. <laughs> It is a car, but that is about where the comparison stops. Yeah. the end on that one was very good thank you problem with this is there's music playing so hopefully it comes through but uh that was the sound of an arizona lemon iced tea regular i'm jesse from the internet this is the casual diehard podcast it is a baseball episode which means it is also on our baseball from casual diehard feed if you don't for instance like auto racing or basketball um first of all open your heart open your mind uh, <laughs> listen to our shows they're they're a good gateway in but if you only want a baseball feed we now have a baseball feed we have a basketball feed we have our vroom vroom feed uh and also a football feed football being out of season and us not really talking about it that recently hasn't been updated lately but we've got basketball uh and ace is here from our basketball hour so how you doing ace good um not good in terms of the basketball i like to watch which would be nick's basketball currently but good overall <laughs> yeah let's uh get away from the knicks for a moment also uh <laughs> basketball head who uh i i'm going to just say right now we're going to be doing some WNBA shows and it's going to be uh, it's going to be a liberty show like let's be real and anna will be there uh anna, yes how are i you? will I'm doing all right. I'm doing just fine. Um, looking forward to start of the Yankee season, start of the Liberty season. We're going to have a action-packed summer, it looks like. We sure are. And not a Liberty fan, but also here and a Yankees fan for this Yankee-centric hour. Uh, I'm going to ask Britt how she's feeling about uh, Charles Leclerc being P2 for the Bahrain Grand Prix. I feel great about it. I feel great about it. I'm with with our friend Addie um, in thinking that this is actually exactly what we need to uh, change the curse, fix the vibes, because starting from pole does not work. So I feel like this is, this is fine. I'm good with it. 
Does that also apply to the New York Yankees starting from outside of playoff position in the 2024 season? I mean, (laughs) I feel fine about it. I'm not going to say I think it's good, but I feel fine about it. I'm I'm perfectly happy to believe that last year was an aberration uh, and that Juan Soto is going to fix everything. So that's fine. You know, I I agree that last year was probably an aberration. Like, you can't necessarily predict. You can always predict injuries, but you can't predict the level of both injury and just, like, injury-related cliff diving that happened. Um, I mean, like, who mismanages a concussion that badly? And I'm not saying that that Rizzo missed. I'm saying the Yankees mismanaged Rizzo's concussion Mm -hmm. so bad. Like, you can't predict that. Um, but no, so it was I'm really to... when it rains, it pours. Like it was, yeah. I, I like mean, like everything that could have gone wrong in every conceivable way, short of Garrett Cole, did exactly. Go wrong. Like if your name wasn't <laughs> Garrett Cole, something fucked up happened last year, <laughs> right? Um, right. So I'm willing to believe that like some percentage fewer fucked up things will happen to the Yankees this year. Like that's just that's right. like it has to. The law of regression can work in your favor sometimes. It can. Uh, there's also... What what keeps me from believing in them, though, is what they've kept the same. And what isn't poised or put in any kind of position for regression, which is... You're still leaning on the same brain trust. You still have a lot of the same weaknesses, you're still super susceptible to injury. And you know, I think I think Juan Soto does fix a whole lot, but nothing fixes the fact that it it just sucks that you need to count on Aaron Judge to not get broken and his body seems very susceptible to getting broken, maybe because it is so large. I think it is that's large. exactly why Juan Soto is so important, though. Because if if Juan Soto can be that guy part two, or that guy A and B, or however you look at it, then if some stupid injury happens and Judge has to be out for a while, you would hope then that that means that the entire offense doesn't fall off a cliff like it did last year. Because part of the problem last year was not just that lots of people got hurt, which they did, and that was clearly suboptimal it was also that like when he got hurt in la like just the air got sucked out of the room mm-hmm. like Absolutely. they they looked like for real legit like that series with that was in la against the dodgers looked like it had a very 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 good likelihood of being a world series like preview and then they were like 10 games under 500 the rest of the year <laughs> And some right. of that is because people got hurt, but some of that is just because everybody went, ah, shit, now what do I do? Like, just. Right. <laughs> Not only were people hurt, the vibe was terrible. The vibes were yeah. off, man. It the vibes so were really bad. bad. <laughs> the vibes were really the vibes. bad. The vibes already feel very night and day, even from spring training. Like, I'm trying not yeah. to get ahead of myself, but just the. It just feels like a lot more like power of friendship driven of a team compared to last season where last season it felt like they were sort of like, all right, like let's get in our like evil empire bag. And it did not work out for them. Like this season, they kind of have to get back into like that. Let's actually all like each other and fuck with each other and like come together as a team and get that chemistry going again. In addition to the fact that they have, you know, like the top two power hitters in the entire league now, which is very weird to say out loud. (laughs) but the vibe is like night and day night and day yeah Yeah. absolutely and I mean what Jesse was saying about uh you know the brain trust being the same I think time and time again the brain trust of this current iteration of the Yankees has proven to us that good enough is good enough you know like right they're gonna tell us every year oh we're the Yankees it's championship or bust but when it comes down to it mediocrity is fine um and so we yeah. can't be in our evil empire bag if that's the vibe that our front office is putting out. So you're right, Ace, that we like the vibe yeah. has to be based on the players doing their thing. And mm-hmm. 
kind of getting away from that whole like, yeah. oh, we're the Yankees. We do Yankees shit because we don't do Yankees shit anymore. Just like on a team, yeah. on a team level. I think the personalities are just not that either. Like they're they're competitive. They're good baseball players. But they're not like, they don't have that kind of attitude. So I think there's a certain amount of like, it can feel a little put on when you're like Aaron Judge, who's like the most squeaky clean, yes ma'am, no ma'am kind of guy to be like the evil empire. And Garrett Cole, who's fucking Kermit, whose biggest sin is like yelling at Billy Crystal one time. He didn't even yell at Billy Crystal. He, he just yell. like no, got please. mad because Billy Crystal messed up his pregame routine by like being late to throw out the ceremonial first pitch or something like that. It's literally Speaking all it was. Of, Garrett was like ready see, to go. Did you see the the video clip that the Yankees posted the other day where whoever their social media guy is had like a big like bucket full of baseballs and was asking the guy yes like how many balls do you think are in here and all of the players were just like yelling out random numbers and then Garrett Cole Cole comes over and he starts like counting the top layer and like counting from the bottom and like doing the mat it was hilarious um and very uh very so good yeah very very Garrett yeah I think that also is indicative of why it's so like another reason that Soto being here is so important is that he is not just a vibes guy, but like a really like kind of chill dude. Um, Whereas Garrett Cole um, is a weirdo who brings um, insane bucket of ball counting intensity to seemingly everything and I think everything that, he does yep i i think there's a similar shift with the mets this year where max scherzer and justin verlander but like scherzer was so fucking intense like yeah it is yeah, they're, they're very but, much cut from a similar claw <laughs> yeah um and when that is arguably the most important dude on your team. And Garrett Cole was the most important dude on the Yankees last year, especially after there was no Aaron judge. Um, Not all of the time is your best player going to be the leader dude, but right. You know, you know, I'm trying to to say here is like, that's good podcasting. Um, (laughs) (laughs) It's, it's, it's a very tricky thing to not say it in an insulting way. Cause like you're not paying Garrett Cole to be like cool vibes, dude. It's not part of what is advertised. You're with paying him, he him was a to weirdo throw in 200 Pittsburgh. innings He's, and win yes. Cy Youngs. Yeah. I think though that he is actually like, I think he is a vibes dude in a lot of ways. I agree. But I think that you're absolutely right that, like, that is a very particular type of vibe. And that guy needs some balance. Like, Buster Posey has notoriously said, I love that I also promised on Blue Sky, like, two days ago, that I will fit Buster Posey references in. And here it is happening, totally organically. It's just natural. Just, I can't help it. Um, But Buster Posey has said that one of the reasons why he felt like those Yankees or those Giants teams that won World Series and were so good were so successful is that he didn't have to be the only voice in the room that he could lead and be the guy in the way that worked for him and in the way that fit from his fit personality. Cause then he also had Hunter Pence who brings totally opposite energy to it and they can kind of divide and conquer and kind of meet in the middle on stuff. And that either one of them individually, like it wouldn't really have worked. Like it required that combination of the two for the vibes to be right. And I think that, yeah, absolutely. Like Garrett Cole needs, you need another, you need a non-Hunter Pence in that scenario, right? Like (laughs) you need somebody who operates not at an 11 all the time. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I also think that in terms of that kind of personality, Aaron Judge does not operate in an 11 all the time. Like Aaron Judge is an, 
intense guy like he's a competitive guy and he clearly expects the best from himself and the people around him but he's not the garrett cole level of like neurotic i feel like no i think i think aaron aaron judge is very buster posey like in that way and that they're just uh-huh. like very steady they're gonna lead by example they're gonna make everybody look at him and go oh my god i don't want to embarrass myself in front of this dude <laughs> And, like, just be there and show people what you're supposed to be doing. Um, but, yeah, I think I think the the I also feel like the Juan Soto Glaber Torres, like, there's a there's a vibe there that I feel like can can happen that could be very, very powerful. That I think also in a in a baseball way, like Soto shows up that I know that there's debate about whether lineup protection matters but it's it doesn't matter what order you hit them in um that's not what i'm talking about i'm saying that soto being there makes judge better because you can't just you can't just walk him judge you can't yeah. just right. avoid so mm-hmm. right. regardless turn, of how you arrange it if they're hitting two three three four four five that doesn't matter doesn't matter right but and, you can't just walk soto, air and judge right and where Soto is a force multiplier isn't isn't in what he does in making Judge more dangerous. It's that the two of them together unlock so much with Rizzo, with Glaber, with LeMayhew. They they make yeah. all of those guys so much more difficult to deal with because you're dealing with them in the context of Judge and Soto are both here, not just Judge. And I think that right. That's where I'm still worried about Judge being, you know, an injury waiting to happen. And I need to get that thought out of my head because you can't just worry about dudes getting hurt. But it is, you can worry about it in roster construction, but like once the season starts, I need to just get in my mind like, hey, let's watch some fun baseball. Um, I Yes, but, and I'm going to, I'm going to kind of push back on you there a little bit. Aaron Judge has been hurt, yes, but his injuries aren't the Stanton-type injuries. They're not the Giancarlo-type. Mm-hmm. I'll circle back to him later. But they're not the Stanton-type injuries where with Stanton, it's always kind of the same thing. He pulls something. He tweaks something. He's out right. for a couple weeks. It's a weeks. hamstring. Judge, it's an oblique. It's always Exactly. Like... With Judge, it's some freak thing that he happens. He sniped like, by a wall. Like, right. Like he stubs his toe on the wall and it puts him out for two months. He dives and breaks his rib and doesn't tell anybody for four months. Some like freak things happen to Aaron judge. And at a certain point, like they're not, I mean, if, if they just keep happening at a certain point, you're like, okay, this guy is a freak accident magnet, and you just kind of have to factor that into his play. But I'm not ready to well, call him injury-prone in the same way that some other guys are injury-prone, just because right. all of the things that have happened well, to I, him are weird. I think yeah. that where he is injury-prone is that he puts himself in position for those freak plays because he's he plays a fucking hard outfield. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. Like, I don't I, think that he's Pete Riser of the 1940s Brooklyn Dodgers, uh, knocking himself unconscious on every wall that he can possibly find. But that dude goes hard, and he has so much body. Like, right? He There's a lot of force involved. <laughs> yeah. There's more surface area. There's more volume. There's more everything. There's there's just there's more chances for him to get hurt. And I think that that's why he's injury prone. Not that his body sure. is, is tuned badly. Um, Fair. Like Stanton. Stanton's got the, the sports car that he can't get the, the handling right on. <laughs> right. Yeah. Judge yeah. is just a tank. Yeah. Right. Fair. I think the other thing that I wonder too is with, Mentioned that rib injury made me think of this too. Is that I wonder how beneficial having somebody else who can really be the guy in the lineup will be to mm-hmm. his ability to be like, you know what, I need a day, or you know what, I, I did something here, like this doesn't feel quite right, and not let it linger and not let it get worse because there's a little bit less weight on him. That oh my god, if I'm out, 
it's this huge disruption. Logically, that would make sense, but I just don't think that's how these guys are wired. No, probably not. But I do, I do wonder how <laughs> logically it, how, it makes sense. <laughs> and I wonder how much of it sort does sort of like make it easier for like Boone to take that out of his hands a little bit sometimes too. Should I say what I want to say here? What they are doing anything smart is not going to happen. Well, Aaron Boone doing something that requires him to act as the player's mm-hmm. manager and not their buddy. I don't think yeah. that's ever going to happen. Yeah. That's but you're point. again, Britt, logically <laughs> that, that would make sense. Right. Oh God. So I said, I would oh, circle back to Stanton. That. Oh, go ahead. Yank- Yankees manager, Tom Thibodeau. Just once he's oh, over in the middle of June. He won't be busy. It'll be fine. (laughs) But the problem is he will play judge every day and possibly have him pitch and play right field at the same time. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. He'll just make things up for him to do. Why? He's not a pitcher. Doesn't matter. Needs to get the innings in. (laughs) (laughs) What what did you want to say about Stan Nace? Because that seems like a by the way, oh, that was I, Anna. I think yeah. it speaks to how, how enormous um, – oh, Anna, yeah. Um, I'm, we have not enough diversity of um, alphabet in our lineup. <laughs> uh, that's something we're going to have to work on. We have to get – there really too is many a There's too many A's. In this uh, – in casual diehard. Uh, I want to say, though, about Stanton, like I've just – called him uh like a sports car in comparison to judge as a tank and that really explains how large aaron judge is because um Giancarlo Stanton is a mountain of a human being as he well is absurdly large and it only doesn't seem that way yeah oh my by virtue of comparison so my question to you guys about stanton is is he cooked <laughs> I don't think he's cooked. I feel no, like he definitely has March. So some, I'm gonna say no. Yeah. He he's he's got but I'm not talking I about think, cook based on March. I'm talking about looking at the body of the last several years for him. Is I'd he large scale like, cooked? One more one more good season. And I think after this season, if he's still like getting these like lingering injuries that he just like cannot shake. I will. I will start to be in the the he's cooked camp. It will be very sad because I feel like we never got to see like peak Stanton. You know, maybe once or twice in the postseason. But like, I I think that this season he'll actually be pretty good if he doesn't get like a random like hammy injury, I, like right as he's I getting think, hot as he always does. Yeah, I think this season is also kind of telling for him because he changed up his like preseason like training routine and stuff so that he came into camp much more like shape wise and and sort of conditioning wise much closer to when he was with the Marlins if that helps then that might you know that buys him a couple more years potentially because maybe that unlocks Mm -hmm. something if it doesn't yeah then yeah, it's like okay, I don't know. There's there's not a whole lot else to try here, buddy. I mean, yeah. my, the thing with Stanton, I've always thought he just from a from a functional perspective, he has too many muscles because there's just too many yeah. opportunities for him to tweak them because there are so many of them. And I say this as someone who is not a doctor nor somebody who has any experience with having that many muscles, but it just seems to me like the number of times it's like, oh, you know, he strained this, he tweaked this. It's because there's too much there. So maybe in there's my too mass, it, too much mass, something is over too much there. Something. So maybe now that he's, I guess, in a cut, yeah, uh, he'll allegedly. I, I, I'm looking forward to. I'm looking forward to seeing what this season looks like for him. Um, I'm not ready to call him cooked yet, but. I he's on the train we need to, he's on the train and I mean yeah. he's yeah. he's this is his age 34 season I believe he's turning 35 this year that sounds right yeah um so you know uh, it's this yeah. isn't 2003 we don't see 40 year olds uh 
inexplicably <laughs> hitting 60 home runs anymore. Right. Um, he, he turned 34 in November, and I I added it up here over the past two seasons. He's played 211 games and had 867 plate appearances, which is not injured all the time, but it's also not on the field all the time. And his OPS right. plus is exactly a hundred. So he's been just league average production. The two oh two batting average is obviously horrific, but he's a four forty two plugging percentage over the last two years. He is right. he is what he is at that point at this point, which is a low average, high power dude. I don't think that he's ever gonna hit over two thirty again that's just like there's there's too much strike zone his game is too much what it is like he's going to be a richie sexton ish kind of dude like not richie sexton on the yankees um (laughs) that'll be when when john carlo is on the royals or the vegas rays or the Vegas Rays. Mexico City A's. Just everyone's Vegas. Just moving everybody. Why not? God, don't Fuck give it. the Rays any ideas. I mean, uh, it can't be worse than the Trop. It really can't. Yeah, true. They could share a stadium with the Vegas A's. Oh, God. And it wouldn't be worse than the Trop. I will say, though, you- on with Stanton, I think I'm actually fine if that's what he is. Like, I think, I think with the roster as constructed, that's fine. I think the biggest issue is that the way the roster was constructed the past couple of years, they were relying on him to be something other than that. Mm-hmm. And yeah, now you have Juan Soto to do that. Right. Juan Soto right. gets to be Juan Soto all day. <laughs> and Stan, and in, in the role of 2010, Giancarlo Stanton is Juan Soto. Mm-hmm. And, and Stanton gets to be 2024 Stanton and not try and be him at 25 as opposed to almost 35. Yeah. I mean, and the issue with the Yankees has been roster construction for years. They just slot people into roles where there's no wiggle room. They're walking a tightrope every year. And last year they fell off. So, and and they also do inexplicable things like decide that the answer to the outfield problem is Joey Gallo and Andrew Benintendi for some reason. That is a thing that happened that I will take to my grave. Like that, that, that was an interesting, it was an interesting move. It it was a series of choices for sure. Yeah, for sure. Some choices were made. (laughs) Uh, Speaking of which kind of on that same, uh, uh, in in that same vein of the Yankees making choices about their outfield, how do we feel about Bellinger landing with Chicago or back with Chicago? Because I'm I think always it, a proponent of the Yankees going hard after him because I think his swing would play very well in Yankee Stadium. I don't think they have enough lefty balance, um, or they haven't in the in recent history. Uh, but I was I was disappointed that they didn't seem to be interested in him. Yeah, I feel like they at this point it seems like they feel good with who they have in terms of hitting, and it feels like they're trying to save that big swing. No pun intended, because it's not for a big swing. But I feel like they're saving that big bag for like a pitcher. Um. <laughs> oh, like like Yamamoto. Well, <laughs> that would have been awesome. Plan uh, A through Z of the Yankees. They should go for that season. guy. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, but no, I mean, there's still, I know um, this guy's still on the market, Snell. And then there's a few other pitchers, I believe, that are still floating around out there. I feel like they Jordan definitely Montgomery still need still to. There. there you go. Bring I mean, Jordan they... home. That would be beautiful. He doesn't um, want to come back. No, he doesn't. Serious. He has no interest. <laughs> no, he, Which he would valid. hang up the phone on Cashman so fast. <laughs> he does not want to come back. And I would not blame him. Like, you know what, yeah. buddy? You're not wrong. <laughs> definitely not. But yeah, no. I, th- I think they're definitely trying to find at least maybe like one more solid starting pitcher. Solid to great with Snell being an option. But 
I yeah, I think they're good. I'm I like Bellinger, but I wasn't too I wasn't like super high on any hitters outside of Soto. Like I just wanted them to get him. Like and once they got him, I was like, cool. I'm checked out until I start seeing (laughs) (laughs) until I start seeing some live action. Like that's great. Thanks for doing that at least. Yeah, my expectation is I don't think they're going to add anybody anytime soon. I think if they add pitching, it'll be at the deadline because. They are going to get nailed so hard by the tax mm-hmm. if they add essentially anyone at this point. Certainly anybody that you, like, have heard of. <laughs> right. Like, And the thing you kind of have Blake to balance Snell's with luxury. Yes. Yeah, Blake Snell's a good pitcher. Blake Snell is not effectively $60 million a year or whatever. Good. Right. And, you know, I, I feel like the luxury tax stuff is valid, obviously. The Yankees front office... No, no front office wants to put themselves in that hole, but similarly for the Yankees and the Mets, right? Like we're looking at the question of why are we, what got us to this point where we're spending so much money and we're not competitive? Mm-hmm. Um, I, I will, I will defend them a little bit. I think caring that much about the luxury tax is stupid in the first place, but if you're I, going yes. to, I get it. Uh-huh. I think this is a case of the luxury tax hasn't kept up with market value. Because the Yankees roster is not so extravagant that they should be mm-hmm. running into running past the top level of the tax. Right. Like the Dodgers, yeah, absolutely. They went on a friggin' spending spree. Like, sure. The Yankees roster is not so unbelievably like superstar laden that it should be hard for them to sign a Blake Snell or whoever and not have it cost them more than they feel like it's worth. That's fair. That's a fair assessment. Um, These are not the 2005 Yankees. Um, Right. I mean, has their payroll even markedly changed since the early 2000s? I would have to look at the numbers, but uh, probably, probably not that much, ironically. <laughs> no, yeah, and and that's that's a troubling that's a troubling thing for the game in general because that's the kind of stagnation that you see just like the NHL go through. Like the the highest NHL salaries still aren't as high as they were before the salary cap or or they've just crept over with the last bunch of guys who signed big deals um right for a while it was still like yarmir yager highest paid uh nhl player <laughs> right um, but i think we were having this conversation last year when cohen went on his spending spree and mm-hmm. we were talking about you know, the Mets kind of bringing MLB into a new era of spending um, Mm -hmm. because it had stagnated for about two decades. Um, But then the Mets crashed and burned. And I don't know if anyone wants to, I mean, the Dodgers are doing that now, but. Well, and the Padres also did the same thing. They spent ridiculous amounts of money and then then crash and burn. Well, right. Yeah. They they were terrible (laughs) and the owner died. So they were so bad they killed their owner. Their own. <laughs> uh, um, but I do think part of the problem too, though, is that there's not an incentive to spend money. There's a disincentive no, to spend a, money. Right. There's an active disincentive because nobody else gives a shit. You only have to like halfway care to be running circles around most of your competition. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, like, why would you spend more than that? God knows the Blue Jays aren't going to. I just feel like it's a it's a representation of a lot of what is wrong with a lot of what we see in the world today. In that people have decided they want to. I mean, it's it's the fanatics issue, right? Like, it's the it's the fanatics uniforms issue of people deciding that they want to figure out how to squeeze every dime out of any product um, mm-hmm. without 
putting the actual product at the forefront. Um, Line and must you, always go up. Right, exactly. Except for and you, compensation, and, and apparently. We joke about it with the, the see-through uniforms, but you've seen that in other arenas with... Um, you know, a lot of the good, the, the good journalistic websites of the mid 2010s going under, um, right. Because they got corporatized and the life got wrung out of them for a couple more dollars on the bottom line. Um, and you're seeing that with, with at least my observation, and I'm sure a lot of people's observation is that you're seeing that with sports owners as well. I mean, if, if you can be profitable to your owner, if you can be profitable to the owner without spending the time or money to care about fielding a competitive team and your goal is to make the money, why would you spend the time and money to field a competitive team? Well, because I and, think the biggest difference fundamentally is that we have shifted now out of an out of a generation of owners who they own sports teams like you own a yacht. Because it's it was fun a for luxury. Them. It was fun for them. Yeah. It was a luxury purchase. And now it's now, the money it should maker. Be. Right. Now it's now it's the money maker yeah. and it's the, you know, they inherited this team from their dad or their grandpa or whoever. And now they're just concerned about the fact that it's part of their, you know, part of their inheritance is part of the investment por- portfolio. And they're suddenly concerned, mm-hmm. more concerned about the bottom line than they are necessarily about winning a world series. And so they walk, a lot of them are either they're just fully terrible and they're John Fisher and it doesn't matter. And they Mm -hmm. fully do not care if the team is even watchable. But then there's a whole group of them too, that of which the Yankees are one of which the Mets, the Hal Steinbrenners, the Hal Steinbrenners that they're going to walk that. They want to ideally, I think they would never admit this, but I think ideally they want to walk that line of we're good enough that it's not embarrassing. We're good enough that I'm going to make playoff money. We're good enough that we can sign some big stars who will make us some money and who will make the team good. But I don't really care if spending an extra $50 million would have been a World Series. That's not really my concern. I can do the calculus. That's probably not a, an investment risk I want to take. Yeah. This this is where I will invoke the Giants and where, if I were you, Britt, I would be as mad at at Charles Johnson as I could possibly be. Oh, that's because... my standard state of being. <laughs> I know. Because, but, but especially in this case, because his fucking hobby is that he's throwing, like he's throwing money at the biggest loser, like not just like the biggest nuts in the Republican party, but like he throws money at races that aren't even competitive. Like, he oh, props up. Like, he throws money at loser freaks, even by loser freaks. District. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Loser freaks, even by loser freak Republican standards. Like fucking dude, what are you spend doing? Your money on on the ball club that has a chance to win. Um, and and I will say this: right. that as much of of a of a fucking awful human being as mm-hmm. that dude is, um, because. Awful human beings make really great sports owners. All of the all of the oh yeah poop cronies who bought European soccer teams and like ran shit in Europe for a decade. Uh, the Saudis now they're amazing. Like right. Formula One is great because it's it's all just money that is coming from the worst places in the world for nothing but. The glory of finishing somewhere between second and ninth, uh, behind Red Bull and ahead of Haas, like <laughs> right. It is it is beautiful chaos, just funded by an unending stream of money, and that is you know the I, I think where where you need to be, you need to just be put put money in, watch be fun, right. Uh, more think- more oligarchs, less private equity is really what we're looking for mm-hmm. here. I, I, I'll say that. Yeah, uh, absolutely. I, we, we need, need yeah. more extravagantly wealthy people who just think it would be fun to own a baseball team. And this is the thing that I hate about about rich people. I, I will I will just make this segue immediately. The current era of rich people are boring. They suck. 
They're Suck. boring. They're not good at being rich. <laughs> no creativity. The the absolutely absurd shit I would do if I had that kind of money. You you could not tell me a thing. I would put my name on buildings. I would buy a fucking baseball team. I would like whatever. I would be insufferable. Because isn't that the entire point of having that kind of money? If you have what more are you money, doing with it otherwise? Exactly. If you have more money than you can spend and you're not just doing shit that's fun with it, like either fun right. or a net positive to society. Like if you're right. not going to do net positive to society shit, at least don't be boring. At least do something that has some entertainment value for other people. Even even if you're just weird, I would take just weird at this point. Like Howard Hughes is at least an improvement over most of these fuckers. <laughs> like Howard Hughes was not a net positive on society, but he was interesting at least. We just we have a bunch of boring generational wealth guys who right. look at everything as a sell on an as a, on a spreadsheet. Right. Um, it is extremely telling that I have a hard time remembering which H. Steinbrenner owns the Yankees and which H. Steinbrenner is deceased. Hank is dead. I'm pretty sure. Okay. Yeah, Hank is Hal dead. Is Hal alive. Hal Jr. is the one. Right. Running, running the team. Hal is yeah. doing whatever he does. I don't know what he does all day, but he has, <laughs> you know. Yeah. And Hal, Hank what is, is it you do here? Right. And Hank has, has passed. But it's a good question. Yeah. Yeah. And I, we, I, I would like... Oh, go ahead, Brett. I would say this is the sort of infuriating thing. Is on the one hand, like, yeah, stop being cheap bastards. You're the fucking Yankees. On the other hand, I... Because everyone else is even worse and even cheaper, I also kind of look at it and I'm like, there's not really a whole lot else I would have wanted them to do this winter. Like, <laughs> that's yeah, the really yeah. infuriating, like, catch-22. I'm like, yeah, yeah. they got better. Like, no. Nobody else in the division did. Like, okay. Like, <laughs> I would, yeah, that's a win. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah. And I guess Alex Verdugo is 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 enough of a, oh a, a a net positive player that it's better that he's on the Yankees than the Red Sox. Like, yeah, right. I, I it's like, okay. <laughs> right. Again, it's like they got one Soto, so like okay, they left everybody else in the division. So all right, yeah. like. <laughs> but sign Snell, do the sixty million dollars because he can put you over the top. Who cares? No, I fucking Yankee. My my I counterpoint wish. to that is. Don't sign Snell because the Giants need him because they have two pitchers. <laughs> I will also real, say many, so it's real bad over there. Technically, it's real right, bad. Given that Carlos Rodon is no longer a known quantity, how many pitchers do the Yankees really have? Mm. Like, really, what's Good going point. on over here? Okay, that's fair. That's that's, <laughs> that's a fair yeah. point. Also, don't yeah. sign Snell because. Uh, Aaron Boone managing a guy who can only pitch five innings, six innings. Oh, no. Yeah, oh, God. That's a lot of... It's Aaron Boone time. No, so, yeah, that just... Oh, that just... It just opens up... Team. It opens up four, three to four innings per game that you just let Aaron mm -hmm. Boone do his thing, and that's never good. That's And that's three to four innings that they don't have Michael King to save their asses. <laughs> Like what? That's three to four innings of like Luke Weaver, maybe. But Luke Weaver's I, probably starting because there aren't any starters. So right, like. right. I, and I, I mean, I saw a quote from Boone the other day. I don't remember what the exact quote was, but it was something about Clark Schmidt having this mentality where he's not worried about the competition for a role in the rotation. And I was looking at it like, why would Clark Schmidt be worried about competition right. for a role in the Who rotation? Is the competition? Who's the Clark Schmidt. His reflection. Right? <laughs> like, like, oh, man. Yeah. So I feel like, like we all kind of opened this show saying, like, yeah, we feel okay about the Yankees. And now we've 
you know, spent the last 45 minutes talking about how terribly run the team is, which, you know, that's hey, being a sports fan. But- two things could be true. <laughs> yep. Yeah, I I mean, I'll, I'll bring it back to, I can't bring it back to basketball, but I will to auto racing. I feel great about Ferrari and they are. There you go. Run like Ferrari is run. Um <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's it's a time for optimism, but also we all know what the weaknesses are of the organizations that we love. And because that's the thing, right? That like if everything works out, everything would be could be great. Like the pieces in both cases, both the Yankees and Ferrari, like mm-hmm. everything is there that if the cards fall right, they will absolutely be successful you just also see the places that maybe if they don't that it can get weird but they they do at least start the season with okay they've got all they've got everything they need they've got the pieces the foundation is there they're set up and then you just sort of have to see what happens and you know what teams can change too um even i guess ferrari is uh, now a team principled by Fred Visser and has Lewis Hamilton on the way. The Liberty stopped getting out of their own way. The Knicks stopped getting out of their own way. These are organizations that I support that, that seem like they know what they are doing. And that is really weird to say about the Knicks. <laughs> but yes. But it's it feels different with the Yankees, especially because Brian Cashman has been there so long, and I feel like has lost my trust, and it's oh, harder totally. to get it back than to win it in the first place. Yes. Yeah, no, I mean Cashman. So. Cashman has been lapped by other individuals in in the league, and. Hal doesn't want to cut bait because, and, and I get it to an extent because eh, who do you replace him with? I don't know. I, I understand. I understand the sort of sunk cost fallacy of like better the guy I know who could probably be better than like some total unknown quantity that could crash and burn spectacularly. But I, th- I think the most telling thing to me is how the front office talks about analytics and how they, they, they frame their analytics department where, you know, they talk about whether analytics are good and whether their department is big or small and things like that. And it, it just speaks to me to a mindset that is very old where it's like, ooh, are we using the new math? Whereas the reality is everybody's using the math. The math is helpful. It's how you use it. And what you don't have is people who know how to use it. It's not whether you have an analytics department because everyone has an analytics department. It's not how many people are employed in your analytics department because nobody cares how many people are employed in your analytics department. It's do the people who are employed in the analytics department know how to apply what they know to baseball and for some teams, yeah. that seems to be yes. And for the Yankees, it does not seem to be a yes. Well, and I, I think the other part of the problem, too, is that I don't think the coaching staff knows how to translate it either. Definitely not. Some of it, I think, is because they are very old school and they don't get it. And then you have Matt Blake, who's just a fucking nerd, who I just absolutely do not think knows how to explain a fucking thing. And he is, <laughs> he is blessed to have the nerd king of the North as his ace, who he right. can like hand a spreadsheet and go here and Garrett goes, okay. And like, and, and we know, I mean, at this point, Garrett Cole is also functionally an assistant coach. Right. <laughs> right. If, imagine, imagine Matt Blake trying to do that job without Garrett. He would die. He would die. I mean, and I mean, I, th- I do think Matt Blake is a gem. I think Matt Blake uh, has had tra- a track record of really knowing how to get the most out of some pitchers. Um, more the diamond in the rough type relievers than, yeah. you know, someone like a Carlos Rodon or a Blake Snell. 
um, which is, I mean, Snell is the type of pitcher the Yankees love to destroy, which is another reason why I'm not super, yeah. super keen on them spending a ton of money on him. Yeah, um, that's a good point. But uh, I just, I don't, I think the lack of fresh blood in the front office shows. I think it's absolutely apparent yeah. in how they talk about things where they talk about things and I'm going to shut up because I know I've been talking a lot, but they talk, they, they, they talk like people who have been doing their job since the 1990s and are trying to learn new things, but functionally do the job the same way that they did in 1995, which I mean, there's value, I guess, in longevity and there's value in, you know, being, having a, a decade to three decades worth of institutional experience, but the, the lack of new blood shows. It reminds me of like that coworker you have that always insists on sending you an attachment rather than like sharing the document on SharePoint or like on Mm -hmm. Google Docs or whatever. And you're like, please stop sending me an attachment. And they just like can't. They're like, nope, that's the way I've done it for the past 20 years. I'm going to just send you this Word document. And you're like, yeah, but do you see how I'm just going to have to send it back to you then? And you're going to have to save it again. We're like, you could just... We have this whole system. You could just put it over here and we could just do this and it doesn't have to be this complicated. And they're like, yeah, but I can just send you the attachment. And you're like, oh, okay, fine. Like it's a little bit of that where it's not that they're yeah. fundamentally terrible at their jobs as much as it's just like, you got to keep up at a certain point. And again, when you talk about how big or small your analytics department is, it doesn't give me confidence that you know what the department is supposed to do. Right, you're you're missing the point a little bit. <laughs> it's very, hey, we made an app. Okay, does the app do anything? No, but you, you got to have an app now. Everyone's got to <laughs> right. have an app. There's an app for that. <laughs> right, you're like, no, there, but you don't need an app is the thing. Like, <sighs> anyway, how do we feel about uh, uh, Spencer Jones? Uh, I think large. Spencer Jones is neat. I love him. Yeah, he's, he's, you think he's neat? I think he's neat. Um, he the the Greg Ver, Greg Bird vibes are very strong, and I'm just really uh, hoping that that is oh not. God. I don't want to get uh, hurt again. I right. Oh. <laughs> I think he <laughs> really said to my best friend the other night, I was like, I am ready to get hurt again. <laughs> I want to get just, hurt again. Just just break my that's... heart like Greg Bird did. Oh my god, right? But I, like, God, the swing is so similar sometimes, and. I will say that the intriguing thing with one Mr. Jones is the fact that he is an extremely large human who yeah. can hit a ball 500 feet, but he also actually is like fast and like a good defensive well, he's a, outfielder. He's a large human, but he's a noodle. Right. Which is just fascinating like, to me. Like, I, yeah. just, I love that. It's like, you're a freak in the best way. I love that. It's like a Wemby body type, almost. I mean, not quite that extreme, but no, but definitely sort of in a, <laughs> in that vibe where you're like, "There's so much of you, and yet it's just like all leg, like yeah, <laughs> like the Slender Man vibe." <laughs> exactly, and it's funny because it makes Spencer Jones's shoulders look like very out of proportion sometimes because he's got really broad shoulders the way you sort of expect mm-hmm. a power hitter to. But he is so sort of rangy otherwise that it's just very funny. Anyway, I thought it was cool that he hit a ball a very long way the other day. He did hit a ball a very long way. Um, And I know it's like, oh, don't get don't get your hopes up. He's like, there's a lot of there's a lot of time left. But I sort of can't get over the fact that he played one year of college ball. He played one year of college ball. Fill us in on the Spencer work. Jones lore, Britt. Uh, oh, yeah. Well, because he, <laughs> yeah. he, it was the COVID year. So he played like what? He played one full season. He played like one full season of change. It was a COVID year. And then he had, he had TJ in college too. 
So he only actually played one full season in college, which is a obviously like that's a developmental detriment to a certain extent. But it is sort of impressive when you think about it in the context of like, okay, he did not have as many games and did not have as much seasoning as guys who he's playing against. And he still managed to like hold his own and not seem like he was behind it all. And like, didn't, doesn't seem any worse for the wear despite missing all that time. I think that when we're talking about the, the institutional experience that the Yankees do retain, that also comes with the negative of they have been God awful at developing their talent. Like mm-hmm. it's Jeter, Judge, and Cano. Yeah. Yep. That's <laughs> that's pretty much it for thirty years. Um yep. I don't know about you and, and I will ask you because that Are is you feeling twenty two, Jesse? I <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Well, to get to get to welcome to New York, uh, we need like something else happening there. And, and I just wonder, I know that I had a time where uh, Brett Gardner, uh, Brett Gardner was like the last Yankee prospect that I really tracked and Aww, was excited Brett. about. And it's really because it was just like, Oh, this is just this is fucking demoralizing following Yankee prospects. And and since we're on a podcast and having a conversation about it, I, I will not just wonder how you feel about that, but ask outright how you feel about that. So their I mean, overall I, track I, record? It's 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 objectively bad. No. Their track record I mean, is you're yes. you're right. Not not no, how how you feel about like continuing to go through it continuing so here's the to... thing though why are we here except to hope like if we just if we just look at at if we wake up every morning and are like none of these prospects are ever going to be good major league players why would we even get out of bed because like what the... is life except hope the that a double A guy will somehow someday be a great major leaguer. <laughs> like you have to, like, if you're going to do this, whether this is like baseball life, whatever, if you're going to do this, you can't be just like, well, everything's obviously going to be horrible because first of all, that just makes you annoying as a person. That's true. And second of all, yeah. it contributes to clinical depression. Mm. Like, Okay, I, well, it, I have that, so... I mean, same, <laughs> Jesse. I will try to beat the horrible person allegations with, with this, I didn't which say is horrible that, person. I said annoying. My, I said that when people <laughs> are constantly my, in the mindset of everything that is terrible is going to happen and nothing that is good is going to... And I get the impulse. Trust me, I get the impulse. But I... It's also annoying to other people when you do that. Not you, but when people at large do that. Right. Not, um. not me. But it, it and and I think not. I will I will give the case for why it's not me, and it's because I think that I had a mindset change on just what the Yankees should do with their prospects, so long as they just cannot develop them. them. It's just, trade every just, single one. Trade everything they, that's not nailed down. Trade them. You will continue to be able to sign international prospects. You will continue to have the allure of being the Yankees. There will continue to be minor leaguers in your system, and some of them will play well because some minor leaguers always play well. So just trade them. Do not wait. Do not Esteban Floreal everybody. Like, Yeah, I mean, like, really, what could you have gotten for Frazier and Andujar before they became a meme, right? Before they became the oh, your trade proposal sucks meme. Right. I agree with you, Jesse. Like you're, I, I, like, first of all, yes. Like if there's a prospect in your system and they stay in your system and like, 
you you hope they pan out and you don't stop hoping that they pan out. And sometimes Greg Bird happens and you're sad about it. And usually Greg Bird happens and you're sad about it. Um, but in terms of like what the front office should do, absolutely just trade them. Because you can't fucking develop them. Mm-hmm. Like whatever you're doing isn't working, so do something else. Right. Holding I mean, on to the am... prospects doesn't work <laughs> if you're just going to break them. Yeah, like just let them flourish somewhere else and actually get some sort of value back while you still can, which is anti their entire thing. <laughs> right. If you love someone, let them, them go. <laughs> God, let them start for another team. Yeah. <laughs> I Okay, I will say, though, occasionally they do get it right with guys that they didn't draft, but that they acquire as prospects. Obviously, Glaber Torres is a really high level example right. but they turned garrett cooper into juan soto because they traded yeah. garrett cooper to the to the marlins for michael king in the first place so like right sometimes they make it work not all the time they, obviously i mean they yeah occasionally they turn him into juan soto in the same way they turned nick squisher into aaron judge correct they trick right Aaron Judge and Nick Swisher would get along. I think they would because I think Aaron Judge would just get along but with anybody. I, there has yeah. to be some data on this because Nick Swisher's around all the time. Right. Swisher's Nick there. Nick Swisher's like, always there. So yeah, I don't know do. whether Aaron Judge does get along with Nick Swisher, but the data exists. <laughs> what do you think? Well, I guess that's what we're speculating is what does the data <laughs> say? What's in the envelope? I am I I will take the potentially uh hot take position that I like Nick Swisher a lot and I think he seems is, like a lovely person. Is that a hot oh, take? I, yeah, I was gonna say I, I thought he was very loved. Okay, good. Because I every <laughs> very often when I say that people look at me this like is, I have at the very heads. least a, a Nick Swisher safe space. So yeah, okay. go ahead. Well so there you go. No, I like him a lot. And I think the thing with I think the thing with him is it's a very similar energy to Hunter Pence. Again, that it's like if it was a bit, you would hate it, but it's just who they are. It's him, yeah. <laughs> like, that's just yeah. him. So, like, he's probably exhausting sometimes, but, like, it's very genuine. Yeah, yeah and I mean, like, the... if it's a bit, if it were a bit, that's, like, some serious commitment to the bit because he's just been the guy. Right. That, like, At a certain point, 15, it's no longer years, a bit, like, right? Right. Even if originally it was a bit. Right. There's a statute of limitations. (laughs) Even even if it is a bit and it becomes not a bit, it still was a bit. And I think that the the example of this is Johnny Damon. Oh, ew. Yeah. He's that guy, but ew. Have you yeah. heard the story it was a bit, about and then it how wasn't. Johnny Damon got pulled over in Florida and was talking about how he got pulled over because the cops hated how much he loved Trump? Oh my god! <laughs> like, that's a real thing that happened to Johnny Damon in, like, oh, I want to say 2021, Jesus. 2022. I, I am not surprised like, that no, he was yeah. I don't yeah. remember the exact like context of the story, but it definitely involved Johnny Damon somehow insinuating that cops in Florida were persecuting him, Johnny Damon, because of how much he loved Donald Trump. Because uh, Florida cops are definitely a demographic uh, known for having a, an anti-Trump animus. Like, come on. But uh, yeah, I mean, that that's just what I think of when I hear about Johnny Damon these days. It would have been more believable if, they, if he said they pulled him over because they're Rays fans or something, except that would imply that the Rays have fans. Fans, right. So maybe a harder sell, but. Did he play for the Rays at the end? Didn't he? A lot of places. I mean, I was thinking more in the AL East. Right, I was thinking more in the AL East opponent context. Johnny Damon did play for the 2011 Rays. Oh my god! I 
definitely did not remember that he played in 2011. I'm, I'm looking right now at a USA Today article from 2021. So it was 2021. Uh, titled ex-Yankee Red Sox outfielder Johnny Damon brought up Blue Lives Matter and Trump support during his arrest. After being handcuffed, Damon and an arresting officer begin to talk about the incident when Damon makes his appeal. Hey, bro, I'm a good expletive guy, said Damon. I know people are trying to target me because I'm a Trump supporter. (laughs) And the officer responded by saying that that wasn't why the officer stopped Damon. And Damon responded, it does. (laughs) <laughs> what that means i'm unsure <laughs> he was so certain oh god <laughs> that is just a, do a little piece of johnny damon lore right there <laughs> like no i pulled you, you over because you were driving right 200 miles silence. per hour <laughs> <laughs> oh god wait well, yeah what well, well, was it a dui or was it, was it a, a DUI. speeding or it was a dui okay. yeah which does at least make the it does make yeah. slightly more sense. <laughs> yeah. Hey, we'll always we'll always have that double steal in the 09 World Series. <laughs> at least we'll have that. Oh god. Just well both of our baseball episodes this week have now contained Florida DUI content after the Tony Larusa <laughs> episode on the previous one. <laughs> Subscribe to Baseball from Casual Die Hard. Uh, rate us and review and subscribe. Uh, we'll see who was drunk and driving in Florida <laughs> next, next time. time. <laughs> oh my god. Uh, that is, I, I think that's our show. Is that our show? Do you guys have anything sure. else? Do you have any, any bullpen feelings? Because we did not get to that. The Yankees have a bullpen. Can we have a closer? Pitch. I guess. Clay Holmes is still the closer, maybe? <laughs> Clay Holmes, and there's a bunch of guys out there. There's a guy. I most mean, of, I, most I, of whom I don't know who they are. So we're going to find out. <laughs> Was there any reason why the Yankees didn't retain Wandy Peralta? No, there's no discernible reason for that decision. But, you know, he's not here. Um, and uh, some other guys are. And that's where we're at. The, the biggest service that the social media team does doing their like question of the day and stuff. So I'm like, oh, I have, I didn't know who you were. Now I, now I know your name at least. So uh, shout out to the social team for uh, labeling those videos. Cause I would not know who roughly two thirds of the people in them are otherwise. That is important. That, uh, that was Brit. You've also heard Anna and Ace. I'm Jesse. That's the end of the show. And we will uh, indeed see you next time. Love you.